So today I'm talking about a new subject called generational generosity. And it's really in the wheelhouse of who we are as a church. So we, we say that our mission is community transformation through the love and power of Jesus. Everyone here should know that. Say it with me. Community transformation through the love and power of Jesus. Now you said that like you were repeating it. You didn't say it like you thought we were going to do it. I'll give you one more try. Community transformation through the love and power of Jesus. Now you could look at that and go, really? Community? Like, like you're going to transform a church? He's going to transform a community? Yep. That, that's our plan. That's full on what we want to do. Because, because here's the thing, we, we're seeing it happen. Like one person at a time to one family at a time. And sometimes it's really small. It's like somebody that is so jaded and so sure that church and religion is about taking your money and about whatever else they've got their minds wrapped around. And then they just see us giving away food like 1.5 million pounds. Or they just see us you know, serving the community or loving on people or operating drug rehabilitation centers or you know, all the many different things our church is doing. And it just starts little by little breaking down strongholds in people's minds and hearts. And the thing about the control of sin over a person's life is that it's usually a generational thing. It started before you were born. It started in the generation before you. And so that's why it's often handed down from generation to generation. And that is also why our church is all about breaking those generational curses and releasing generational blessings. Can I hear an amen to that? So, so today and next week, just for two quick weeks, I'm going to talk about generational generosity because this is really at the heart of, of, of what our mission is to transform our community. So watch this. We'll start right here in this verse, Romans 12 and 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Stop right there. There is a pattern of this world. It says, this is what you're supposed to think. This is what you're supposed to say. Don't think this way and don't say that way. This is what you're supposed to do and don't do that. And you know this, right? There has never been a time in my life where uh, the pattern of this world so clearly says, you can't say this, you can't do that. A, a pastor in Canada, just for having church, was arrested this, uh, this week or last week. Literally, he was walking the streets and a SWAT team swarmed this pastor. I mean, literally, like on the, did you see it? He was on the news, like, like, like crazy. A, a, uh, a chaplain of a Christian university was put on the terror watch list in the UK this week for preaching about Christianity in chapel at a Christian school. You know what there is? There is a pattern of this world. And if you don't walk in lockstep with the pattern of this world, the world's going to let you know it. And here's what God says. He says, I don't want you to conform, but instead I want you to be. I think I've heard that word before. We're, we're here to transform the whole community. All of us, one person at a time decides, I'm not going to conform to this pattern. I'm going to be transformed by renewing my mind. Then we'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Time out. That's the number one question of all Christians around the world. What is God's will for my life? God says, here's how you find it out. The good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Make a decision I'm not going to do like everybody else. If you want what everybody else has, just do what everybody else does. Is that what you want? No, I want to be different. I want to be transformed by God's world. See, this is a fallen world, and it has a pattern that it tries to force onto us. And God says, don't conform, be transformed. And at the heart of this transformation 
is generosity. Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is, okay? So at the heart of it is, is, is our generosity. So I love this. This is Paul writing Christians. He says, just as you excel in everything, Christians excel in everything. If you're a worker at your place of employment, you're the best worker because you're a Christian, because Christians excel at everything. You're the most generous person. You're the most trustworthy person. You're the hardest working person. You're supposed to excel at everything. You're the one who accepts the new person, welcomes the new. We excel at everything. Do you always? No, I don't always do that. That's my high aspirational goal. Sometimes I'm the jerk in the corner of the room that doesn't want to be better, right? You also hold it like... Can we just be real up in the house? Like, I'm not always all these things, okay? But I'm trying to excel in everything, in every way. I'm trying, okay? In faith and in speech and in knowledge and in complete earnestness, my heart being, you know, at the right place at the right time. And in love. And, and, and Paul says, while you're doing all this, make sure that you also excel in the what, church? The grace of giving. All right, so do all these other things excellent, but also be excellent and, and realize that foundational to who we are is that we love people and so we're generous. And so if you're taking notes, I'm going to say several things you might want to write down. Here's the first one. Here's the truth. You can give and not love, but it's impossible to love and not give. That's so true. People give all the time because of tax breaks or because of judgments. People are looking at them. They don't want to be judged or whatever. They give out of guilt. That's not love. But when you love, you're absolutely going to be a giver because love plays a huge role in generosity. Here's how I know it. Because number one, Jesus is the standard for generosity. I ought to hear an amen to that. Why is that true? Because God is love. God is love. John, 1 John 4 and 8 tells us this. And, and, and the Bible says God loved us so much that he gave Jesus. So, so God proved his love for us by giving to us. And the proof of our generosity is also when we give. The proof of our love is our generosity. Because love is what motivates generosity. And because I'm made in the image of God, I'm going to be generous. Simply put, if I'm going to be like Christ... I'm going to be a generous person. And I could read you a hundred verses. Let me just show you two places. Psalm 37 says, the godly are generous givers. I'd love to break that down for you, but it can't be broken down. It's pretty simple. Godly people are generous. And then another place in Proverbs 22 and 26, the godly love to give. So the more I get to be like God, the more giving is going to be motivational for me the more I want to. And let me back it up and say, if, if you're like, oh my gosh, I came to church and they're talking about generosity, then I need to work on how godly I am. I got two giggles and no amens on that. I got a simple amen, a lot more giggles. Can I get some amens? The godly love to give. It's, it's what motivates us. It's something that is exciting for us. And the closer I get to God, the more generous I'll become. The truth is, Everything you own belongs to God. And only what you give away will outlive you. You can have ideas of loving someone else, but until you actually give that love away, it doesn't affect anybody. 
You can have ideas of being generous. You can have ideas of serving. You can have ideas of helping your neighbor. But until you get up and do that, nothing changes. And it will die when you die. It will die with you. But when you get up and you have a generous heart, when you love people who other people don't love, when you give away resources that you'd like to put somewhere else, then you've actually done something. And and, and it makes a significant change. You know, uh, our worship team and our our volunteers start getting to church. I usually get here a few minutes after 6 a.m. on Sunday, and I am never the first person here. There are always volunteers already here getting the place ready, getting ready to worship, ready to do all the lights and sound and all that kind of stuff. And and they're doing it out of the generosity of their hearts. It's one thing to say that I, I really would like to do that, but I would like to roll over and sleep more instead right? But, but they made an, a decision, you know? It's like, like, I would like to have washboard abs this summer, but I also would like to have a biscuit, you know? I got to make a choice, you know what I'm saying? Like, which do I want more? And, and so it, it's, uh, generosity is not a thing because you thought of it. Generosity is a thing because you did it. And so giving is not so much about the need that I'm giving to as much as it's about the nature of the giver who I want to be. I want to be like Christ because I'm a spiritual descendant of Christ. I'm a generous giver. And selfishness does not agree with my DNA. I'm made in his image. Thinking only of myself is very natural to my fallen sin nature, but it's completely unnatural to my spiritual nature. And that is why a lack of generosity will keep you out of God's presence. And all the things you want God to do in your life, you want to grow, you want to to find his perfect will for your life, you want to find your destiny, you want to walk in peace and the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, hope, all those wonderful things you want to have in your life, they're incongruent with a stingy person or a selfish nature because God is a generous God. Amos 3 and 3 says, two people cannot walk together until they get in agreement. You say, I want to walk with God, but I also want to be stingy or selfish. God says it can't happen. You can't walk with me until you come in agreement with me. So because I want all the things God has for my life, I want to be a generous person. But here's the good news. Everybody ready for good news? Watch this. Here's the really cool part about this. Blessing is a byproduct of generosity. It's not my motivation for being generous. Let me make that clear. But it always comes with it. Every time I'm generous, God blesses me. It all, can I hear an amen to Somebody ever been generous and God just like, boom, you, you were generous because you felt like God had been so good to you, you, you should do something. And then boom, he gave it back to you. You just can't. J.L. Kraft, founder of the Kraft Corporation, you know, one of the most generous people to his church uh, in his age, in his lifetime. They, they said, it's amazing how much money you keep giving and you keep getting wealthier. And he says, it's very simple. I take a shovel and I shovel money out toward God. And he says, God takes a shovel and shovels it back towards me. And God's shovel is bigger than my shovel. That's what J.L. Craft said. That's pretty good theology because when you give, God says, I'm going to give it back to you. There's a blessing that comes as a byproduct of generosity. And the Bible teaches that. Proverbs 11 and 24 says, one man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds. He doesn't give unduly, but he comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper, and the one who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. I really like this. There's like, this happens, and then that happens. This happens, and this happens. And I want to show you how King Solomon, who wrote this, the wisest man who ever lived, he ties both sides together. This person gives, and so he gains. You see that connection? When you give, you're going to gain. This person over here withholds, and so what happens to him? 
poverty happens. Now, that might be financial poverty, might be spiritual poverty, might be relational poverty, but you're going to not have what you want. Then a generous man is going to be what? Prosperous. And then the person who refreshes other people, what's going to happen to him? What's going to happen to him? He's going to be refreshed. So it's a, it's a, it's a veritable one-two punch that when this happens, that happens. But when this happens, that happens. So what God is teaching us is you're going to be blessed because you're doing the right thing. I'm going to bless you. And, and just like he told Abraham, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing. I want, I want to send it through you. It's real simple. The preachers used to say in my younger days, if God can get it through you, God will give it to you. You, you, you didn't remember that. Yet. Let me, this is how you heard it before. Here's what I know, brother. If a God can get it through you, come on, somebody. God will get it to you. <laughs> now you remember it, don't you? Because that's how they used to say it, right? All right. So God wants to send it through you, and you're going to be blessed when it happens. So here's the other part. You don't just get blessed in this life. Your blessing continues to the next. Jesus in Luke 16 says, I tell you, if you use worldly resources, money, possessions, things like that, to benefit others and make friends... In this way, your generosity will store up a reward for you where? In heaven, man. So are you living for this place or that place? I, you know, I want to have some good things here, but man, I'm, I'm looking for some things over there. <laughs> That's way better, you know. Uh, Jesus also said in Luke 12, sell what you have and give it to those in need and you'll store up treasure for yourself in heaven. See, there's a blessing on this side of eternity and there's an even greater blessing on the other side. Here's the thing I learned about sowing and giving and that when you give it, God keeps giving it back to you. Number three, if you're writing these things down, God keeps giving seed to the what? Sower, the planter. God gives you seed. You got a, you got a handful of corn and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm really hungry. I'd like to eat some corn. If I could just heat this up and put a dab of butter on it, I'd be good today. But God says, I don't want you to do that. I want you to put that seed in the ground. I want you to be a sower because if you'll be a sower, I'll keep giving you more seed and then you'll end up with more corn. It's a very simple principle. God built it and designed it into our whole lifestyle. Watch this verse right here. 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. For God is the one who gives seed to the farmer. Another translation says seed to the sower and then bread to eat. Where's the bread come from? Because the, the farmer sowed it, it, it turns into bread. And in the same way, he'll give you many opportunities to do good. Don't look at the cantaloupe right now. There's a cantaloupe over here. I don't know if you can see it on the camera angle. Don't look at the cantaloupe. Watch right here, right here. All right. He's going to give you many opportunities. Everybody say opportunities. God doesn't make you do anything. He gives you opportunities to do the right thing. All right. And then he will produce a great harvest of generosity where? in you, inside of you, a harvest, an opportunity to be generous. So you will be enriched. What's the root word of enriched? Rich. Rich is, being rich is not a sin. No, uh, you know, having a lot of money is not a sin. When the money has you, it becomes a sin. Okay. But he says, what I want to actually do is enrich, enrich you so that you can give even more generously. He says, I'm going to give you some produce and I want to send it through you. Right? And you can see it in every part of life. You can see it in the way God designed even, even fruit around us. Now, does anybody like cantaloupe? Raise your hand if you like. I, I love cantaloupe. Our family loves to eat it. In fact, when I decided to make it a sermon illustration, um, I didn't tell Leslie. So she cut one of my sermon illustrations open and we had some. <laughs> so she had to go back and get me some more. I'm going to cut this open right here and it would be awful if I cut myself. Man... 
Everything is awesome about cantaloupe, except it looks kind of gross right in the middle, doesn't it? I mean, it's sweet and it's, it's, it's like it's healthy and it's good for you. But then there's all this nasty, why is this here? Like every time I'm eating, I'm like, why is all this nasty, this is so gross. I'm, just, I'm like, why is this stuff here? I don't want this stuff. I, I just want to be able to simply take my fork out and just have some because it tastes so good. <laughs> Raise your hand if your mouth's watering right now. Yeah, I mean, this is the first time I've preached, like, eating cantaloupe. Next time I'm not preaching, I'm going to bring a little bag, you know. There's more seed on that piece. What I want to do is throw out all the nasty seeds. That one was really juicy. I'm sorry. i got to suck it for a minute before I can talk. Okay. I want to throw out all the nasty seed and just have the fruit. That's human nature. But deep down, I know this fact. Somebody's got to do something with the seed. Actually, in this service, I'm going to need somebody to do something with <laughs> right after. Somebody, if somebody's not doing something with the seed, eventually there's no more cantaloupe for me. We, we understand that, right? God designed everything around us. Like, if you don't understand, if you don't understand, God, just look at the trees, the mountains, the cantaloupe, everything God made. If you look at it, you'll be able to see he designed it. And what he's telling us is, if you think this is just for you to consume and you don't understand that a portion, like, like, like 25% of this thing is to be sown. That's a good idea for you to get in your head. Like, what percentage am I sowing of my life, of my time, of my love, of my resources, of my house, of my car, of my abilities, like How much of that? God is showing us all the way around that if we are selfish, eventually it's all going to run out. Can I get an amen to that? So so here's what the Bible says about our generosity. If we keep reading Jesus again in Luke 6 and 38, he says, if you give, something amazing is going to happen. It's going to be given to you. And it's going to be a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap because with the measure that you use, it's going to be measured back to you. And so if I don't throw this away, but I take all these seeds, I don't know how many seeds it takes to, to, like, to get a new cantaloupe, but I bet you this many seeds planted in the ground, I could have like all kinds of cantaloupes. So, so God is saying, this is the messiest sermon I've preached in a long time. God is saying that the same measure that you use, if you think it's all about you, if you think it's all about just eating and receiving and and, and indulging yourself, that's the measurement that it's going to be given back to you. And God says, you're better than that. You're more than that. And my plans for you are greater than that. You've got to put something in the ground. And Leslie and I have lived by this principle ever since we got married. We've been married for 27 years. She was seven years old when I married her. And... um, (laughs) So we, we determined then to be generous givers and, and we have never given less the following year than we gave the previous for 27 years. We've always given more to our church and not only the amount, but also the percentage of the amount. And God just keeps giving us seed because God gives seed to the sower. If I eat the seed, he's no promise to give me any more, but if I sow it, he keeps giving me more. It's also true of this church. This church is so amazingly generous. So the, the accounting firm that handles our church's books is the second largest church accounting firm in all of America. And they told us this is the most generous church they've ever seen. They're the second largest in the nation. They told us that. 
Wow. And, and, and not coincidentally, our church, since we've been Daystar Church 19 years, never have we not had more generosity given to us because God likes to give seed to the sower. I actually did the math this week. From the time we started to right now, over 19 years, our church's giving has increased 8,233%. That's an amazing number because we started off with like a really little bit of seed. Like really little bit of seed. And we said, you know what? This is not just all about us. We're going to sow that seed. We're going to put that seed in the ground. And God goes, that's great. Let's give you some more seed. And we said, let's do more with that. And God says, that's great. Let's do more with that. And so we continue to sow seed. And right now, our church is being even more generous than ever before. Guess what? During COVID-19, we invested more in world missions because the rest of the world suffered greatly. They didn't have stimulus checks coming to them than we've ever invested ever. In fact, in the, in the city where Daystar Cathedral sits in Imbarara, Uganda, a city of 200,000, did you know in the height of the, pan, of the pandemic, there was a city ordinance that says no one is allowed to leave their home in that whole city of 200,000 unless they're going to the hospital or Daystar Church because that's where all the food was. We were sowing seeds. We were just sowing seeds. And did you know since they've opened back up, did you know that we have opened 37 new churches, new Christian churches in a formerly Muslim country? You know what God says? He says, you know what? Those people know how to sow seeds. Those people are, are a trustworthy place so I can keep giving seed to the sower. All right, so let me, let me just wrap up three quick things. One, two, three, of what generosity that honors God looks like. First of all, it's priority giving. Because generosity, listen very carefully, has nothing to do with the amount of money you have. Nothing to do whatsoever. Generosity begins with right where you are. A lot of money, no money, whatever you have, it begins right there. And you just say, God, you are a priority in my life. You are the priority and you're, you matter more. And, and, and see, if we think to ourselves, generosity happens when I have extra money. Well, generosity will never happen. It, it just, you, you will never have too much. Many of you hearing me right now, you've already been more blessed than you thought you would be. Like you have a nice job. You make more money than you used to make. You have more stuff than you used to have. But right now, if I said, here's $100, go do anything with it. There's something $100 would do that you've been wanting to do. If I said, here's $1,000. If I said, here's $10,000. Every one of us has this, like, we're more blessed than we've maybe ever been. And yet there's one more thing I could have. You will never have enough things to just go, well, oh, here's extra. So I'm going to be generous. No, what we have to say is God, you're first in my life. This is the first priority. It matters more than anything else. And I'm going to begin right there. And there is something supernatural that is unleashed in your life. When you determine to be generous, no matter where you are, even when it's difficult. You begin to throw off this earthly pattern. Remember, he says, don't be conforming to this pattern, but be transformed. You throw off the pattern that says, my resources, my job, my income is my hope. And you say, no, my hope is in Christ alone. And the best way to make your generosity a priority is to make it the first thing you do before you invest or give money anywhere else or spend money on anything else. You invest it in the kingdom of God first. I had a guy call me, uh, last year, sometimes uh, dur during the year, he sold his house. He'd been praying to, serve, uh, to sell his house. And he said, Pastor Jerry, I I've got a check that I'm supposed to give to the move journey. You know, because our church right now is, is in a three-year gigantic campaign. We're trying to raise $5 million to go from uh, 
moment to a... There you go. You make me feel good tingly all over when you remember the preacher's words. And so we're growing. It's doing wonderful things. He said, I had promised God when we sold our house, the first $15,000 before I spent anything else was going to the church. And I was like, that's great. That's awesome. He's like, yeah, but the church office is not open because it was on Friday. And I was like, yeah, we're, we office is closed on Friday. And he's like, yeah, but I told my family I was going to take them to the celebration lunch. I can't pay for the lunch bill until I give first because I said it was going to be first. And I said, well, the office is open. I'm open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Tell me where you're having lunch. Go ahead and order me a tea. I'll be right there. You know, <laughs> That happened just like that. And, and you know, it's not always like a big giant something. Uh, the first church I served at in Gadsden, Alabama, there was a little old lady named Sister Frances. And uh, she was in her late 70s and she couldn't always come to church. If you buy me a cup of coffee, I'll tell you enough Sister Frances stories that it'll be worth your cup of coffee. She was a funny old lady. But one of the things she would do is she would call me on Sunday morning if she wasn't able to come to church and she would say, Pastor Jerry, you got to come pick up my tithes on, on the first of the month. You got to come pick up my tithes. And I would say, Sister Francis, you know, I got Sunday school I got to be ready for, and I got to run the bus and pick up the kids. And, you know, and before that, I'm going to the nursing home to do their service. She said, I know, I know that. I'm sorry, to, but you got to come get my tithes. Pastor Jerry, that's the Lord's money, and I don't want it in my house on Sunday. So I would have to go pick it up. There's something about saying giving is my priority. It's supernatural. It'll change your life. Secondly, it's a percentage giving. It's about saying this amount matters. You know, it, it's, it's, give me a piano player. It makes people think I'm almost finished. <laughs> Did you know that studies will show that as, as Americans make more money, they give a smaller percentage? That, that, that's really a sad reality. But if you want to know if your money controls you or if you control your money, look and see what percentage you give away. Not the amount. Look at the percentage. I'll never forget my first trip to Uganda. I preached in a little church uh, in a town called Kasesi, Uganda, and the church was Grace Cathedral. And during the offering, the Africans love to give, although they have very little to give. This, they're playing music. They're dancing. It's a dirt floor. I mean, like you're choking from the dust from all the dancing. And this lady came forward whose legs were withered. I don't know it was polio or what it was, but her legs were tiny, small, withered. And she drug herself by her hands to give her offering. She had a fist like this with a coin in it and a hand open. And I watched it with my eyes as she drug herself to the altar and she dropped it in this little wicker basket. And then she proceeded to stay up there during the music and dance. She had no legs that worked. She I saw this. She moved herself around with her hands, like, like doing little push-ups and jumping around. And I thought to myself, you know, it cost me $3,000 just to get here. And I gave a big American offering. And every, either myself or one of those Americans that were there that they gave the most money. No question about it. But the biggest offering was that lady. In fact, I don't know that I've ever seen a bigger offering in my whole life than what I saw that day. And it reminds me of the story Jesus told of the woman who gave the two small coins. And he said she gave more. She gave a higher percentage because she had nothing to give and she gave it all. When you, when you say, God, I'm going to make it a major a portion of what I do. It's not going to be something I do when there's something left over. It's a major percentage of what I do. The biblical percentage is 
And, and that might just blow your mind. Like, how do I get there? Well, you get there the same way you would walk up on this stage. You take steps. You take steps. And that brings to the last point I want to make. Honoring God with generosity is progressive giving. I've done it my whole life. Just little by little, I've learned how to give. My mom and dad taught me giving when I was just a kid. Their whole marriage, they started out by giving 10% in tithe and 5% in an offering. Always did. That's where I started. And, and I progressed from there. And, and, and they, that, that was just automatic. And so now I automate my giving, you know, through the church's app or website. You can automate giving. And it feels like to me I've automated blessing in my life. Like, God, you are going to be first. Nothing's going to change this is going to be automatic. You know what's amazing about Americans? We are the most blessed people in the world. And, and some people say, well, that's because we have more ingenuity. We have better schools. We have, and actually, America's not number one in many categories. We're number one in wealth and we're number one in generosity. Those two things are not coincidental because God gives seed to the soul. As our country mostly individuals give God gives back to us you know what's strange though one other area that Americans are number one in depression how can you have the most money in the world most possessions biggest homes nicest things and be the most depressed people on the face of the planet I'm serious listen I, I we have a campus we have campuses here and we have campuses in Uganda I know those people the people in America are more depressed than the people in Africa the people in Africa have nothing what it is it's the pattern of this world letting the money have us see here's the thing about God God doesn't want to have your money he just wants to make sure your money doesn't have you let that sink in for a minute God doesn't need your money in fact I always like to say this when I talk about generosity I always like to say this because there's always some skeptic in the room wondering what's this guy getting out of this do they give him a percentage does he get a cut let me just let me just set your mind at ease if, if you think that might be what's going on try all these principles and give them somewhere else you surely passed a church on your way here, another church. Write the check and on your way home, drop it off at that church. You don't even have to give it. You're going to find out these principles work. Works in your life. And if it doesn't work out for you, go back by and ask for your money back from that church. Just don't tell them I sent you. They, they might not like me already. You know? <laughs> no, no, it, it works. Generosity works because it puts you closer to God. And so what I want to challenge you today with is that, first of all, you make some concrete decisions. This is the scripture. When, when God speaks to you, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. God has spoken truth to us today. We, we read a lot of scripture. Truth says to be like Christ, I'm going to be generous. The godly are generous. So, so, so talk back to God about this in your own time, you, your spouse, your family, get together. What concrete steps are we going to take to becoming more generous? Because godly people are generous. We want to be godly. We want to walk in harmony with God. What concrete steps are we going to take? You answer those questions. Pray with your family. Decide what are the concrete steps. And most of all, ask yourself this question right now. Where am I placing my hope? hoping in my spouse and if my spouse went away I don't know my whole life would fall apart I'm putting my hope in my 401k and the stock market tanks I don't know what's going to is my hope in my job and if unemployment takes it away from me here's the cool thing about putting your hope in God heaven and earth shall pass away but God says my word will never pass away